Uh, good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Matt, and I serve uh, alongside Ken as uh, one of the pastors here. Uh, would you please stand as you're able for our scripture reading today, which comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 20 and 27 to 49. And Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. You use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the, of, of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, so, uh, this passage that we read in Luke 6 uh, is just a continuation of our way through the Gospel of Luke this morning, and we've been approaching uh, our time in this Gospel, this authorized biography of Jesus, with the question of who is Jesus? This is the question that uh, that all the Gospels, and particularly the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they shape and organize their story where the climax of those three Gospels is Jesus asking his disciples who do you say I am, and, and getting an answer in return. And all along the way, as we work towards that climactic moment in the Gospels, Jesus is giving, giving us different snapshots of who he is. And we've come to the image, uh, the picture of Jesus today, 
as Jesus as teacher. And this is probably the most well-known uh, picture, the snapshot of who Jesus is. Regardless of who you might be this morning, I, I would say it's a pretty safe bet that, you, that when you walked in these doors, you, you already knew who Jesus is. And if somebody asked you who Jesus was, more likely than not, you would respond by saying, Jesus is a great teacher. And maybe you're here today and you're not yet a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. That's probably the perception of, of Christ that you have this morning. That He's this archetypal wise man. He's this person who spoke truth to power. He called out hypocrisy. He gave us all sorts of good and amazing teachings uh, that, should govern, that should govern the way we live and the way we conduct ourselves as a society. Um, and maybe uh, you grew up hearing the phrase, turn the other cheek. Well, that's actually a saying that's from Jesus. In fact, a lot of the different uh, f- words and phrases that are just commonplace in our vocabulary come from the teachings of Jesus. Maybe you've heard some others of his, like salt of the earth, love thy neighbor, the good Samaritan, the blind leading the blind, go the extra mile, and, and many others. All of these sources have roots in the teaching of Jesus. In fact, uh, one of the er- some of the earliest sources outside the New Testament that talk about who Jesus is identify Jesus as a wise man, as a teacher. For instance, uh, just two sources, the Jewish historian Josephus and then the Roman, uh, a guy named Mara Bar Serapion, both writing within the first century, identify Jesus as a wise man. And, that, and their impression continues on into the present day where the, the common identification of Jesus today uh, from believer and non-believer alike, is that Jesus is a teacher. Jesus taught and said some amazing things, but before we dig into our passage in Luke 6, it's worth saying up front that there are a couple of mistakes that people make when they talk about Jesus the teacher. Uh, one is a mistake that, that non-Christians make, and then the other mistake is a, is a mistake that Christians make. So the, the mistake that non-Christians make when, when talking about Jesus the teacher is to only make Jesus a teacher that Jesus is only a teacher, much like uh, the Buddha or or Gandhi, the the tendency is to ignore and minimize and diminish all the other aspects of Jesus' ministry, his miracles, his exorcisms, his death and resurrection, and so on. Uh, The result is that you get a truncated Jesus, a Jesus of your personal preference and imagination. So that's one error, is to make Jesus out to be only a teacher. The other mistake, which is the mistake that many Christians can make is to paint Jesus not just as only a teacher, but Jesus as hardly a teacher. That, that Jesus, uh, that, the, that the teaching ministry of Jesus was really just a side project to everything else that he came to do. That the church can so emphasize Jesus's role as Lord and Savior that we, uh, that we just downplay the teachings of Jesus. In fact, when I was going through my theological training, one of my professors uh, used to say that the Gospels were just passion narratives with extended introductions. That, that, that a quarter of all the Gospels, 25%, was about the final week of Jesus' life, and that's true. But, you know, you take a step back and you look, that, that still means 75% of the Gospels are about Jesus' life and ministry and teachings. Jesus uh, is referred to in the Gospels over 30 times as a teacher. And on the other side of that coin, Jesus calls his followers disciples. Disciple is the Greek word for a student, a learner. Jesus calls his followers disciples over 200 times. Uh, and so... Jesus clearly saw part of his identity as being a teacher, and he he clearly sees the identity of his followers as being students, as being learners, and so we just can't minimize or overlook that. And so this morning, I'd like for us to try and thread that needle uh, of seeing Jesus uh, as only a teacher and seeing Jesus as hardly a teacher by uh, by looking at three things in this uh, this, uh, 
portion of Jesus' teaching in Luke 6, I want us to consider three things this morning. Uh, first, I want us to consider the purpose of Jesus' teaching. Second, the problems uh, of Jesus' teaching. And then third, the power, the power to live out Jesus' teaching. So the purpose, the problem, the power. So let's look first at the purpose of Jesus' teaching. And as I've studied and reflected on this passage this past week, uh, there are two things that emerge for what I think the purpose, the nature of what Jesus' teaching is about. The first purpose of Jesus' teaching is to tell his followers how to live. It's to give his people a vision for how we ought to act and move and relate to one another in the world. This sermon is full uh, of imperatives, full of commands that Jesus instructs his followers to live out. You can underline them in our text if you want. In verses 27 to 42, there are at least eight different commands by my count. I might be combining one or two here or there, but there's at least eight different commands here. Jesus says that his followers are to love their enemies, verse 27. Do good to those who hate them, verse 27. Verse 28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Uh, not retaliate when wronged, but, res- but respond with compassion and generosity. That's in verse 29. Uh, verse 30 says, give to everyone who begs. Verse 35 says, lend without expecting anything in return. And verse 37 says, withhold judgment and forgive those who've wronged them. And so in this text and all throughout the Gospels, Jesus is giving his followers a blueprint, a way of being in the world that if they committed themselves to living out would bring about a revolution in, the, in society. And being 2,000 years removed, being 2,000 years downstream from Jesus' teaching, we can actually see how these commands of Christ and the ethics of Jesus have transformed the society in which we live. The, the fact that we live in a society today that has compassion as one of its chief virtues, that the measure of a society is based on how it treats its weakest members, that idea itself is a product of the, of the Jesus revolution. And by and large, we can mostly agree that the kind of society we want to live in is a society where uh, kindness and generosity abounds and where those who have nothing are able to, have, to, to gain resources to, to make up for what they lack. That all of these things come from, from Jesus and uh, in, in his, in his teachings on how we ought to live. So Jesus came to show his followers how to live. But then secondly, the second purpose of Jesus' teaching is to teach people what God is like. He, he came to show people how to live by telling us what God is like. In fact, Jesus is always intentional in his teaching, not just to throw out commandments and instructions, but he takes the time to root those commands, to root those instructions in the nature and the character and the person of God. You see, Jesus isn't just telling people how to live because it's his personal preference and it would be nice for all of us to live our lives in this way. He's telling people how to live because Jesus knows that there's a God behind the universe, a God who spoke and created the world and brought all things into existence, and and that in this world that God made that there's an order and a logic to it, and so that Jesus is helping us to see the order behind the cosmos, to see the God behind creation, and to help us order our lives in such a way where where we live with the grain of the universe and not against it. And so if you take another pass through Jesus' sermon, you can see how Jesus grounds these moral commands in the nature and character of God. Look with me at at verses 35 and 36. Jesus says that we're supposed to love our enemies and to do good and and to lend without expecting anything in return. Why? Because God is kind to the ungrateful. Because God is compassionate and gracious to his enemies and those who oppose him. You see... Uh, as, as we consider uh, Jesus' teaching, 
we, we need to see that the commands that Jesus gives are rooted in what God is like. The historian John Dixon, in, in reflecting on the, the teachings of Jesus, observes that Jesus never taught people how to treat each other without also telling them what to believe about God. See, Jesus' instruction and the God behind those instructions in Jesus' mind are, are inextricably linked and that they can't be separated easily. We shouldn't divorce or separate Jesus' moral teachings from the God behind those moral teachings. And if we do, Jesus says, we're in danger of living at odds with the world that God made. So that's Jesus' purpose in teaching, to tell us how to live, but also to tell us what God is like. So now let's consider the, the problems of Jesus' teaching the problems of Jesus' teaching. Because Jesus' teaching is highly problematic uh, on a number of different fronts. And if you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus' teaching exposed and created all kinds of problems in people and in his audiences. And it resulted in all, co- all sorts of rejection and conflict. And if we're honest, we, we all find at some point to find the teachings of Jesus hard to live out, hard to hear, hard to accept. Uh, there was a great pastor friend of mine who uh, was fond of saying, I love everything that Jesus does and about 50% of what Jesus says. Um, it, maybe you feel the same way. Uh, the, the British author G.K. Chesterton once said that Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting. It, it's been found difficult and left untried. That Jesus' teaching creates problems in our, in our lives, in our hearts, and so it becomes difficult to, to follow. And if I can frame the problems of Jesus' teaching within, within those two purposes, uh, I think I can help make those difficulties uh, apparent. So first, if one of the purposes of Jesus' teaching is to show us how to live, it's an incredibly high bar that Jesus is setting for us, isn't it? In, in, in translating the Bible, sometimes uh, things in the original language can, can lose their force can lose their forcefulness uh, when, when we're doing the work of translation. And some of you know this, if you've ever tried to learn a different language, you know there are some words that just don't fit neatly in, 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 a, in one language into another language. This is true when, when moving from the Greek to the English, because in the Greek from, from the text of, of Luke, the original text, all of those verbs from those eight different commands we, we walked through earlier, all of those eight commands are in the present tense. And when a word's in the present tense in the Greek, it, it denotes a continuous, ongoing, uh, ongoing, consistent action uh, that, doesn't have, uh, that doesn't have an end date. These, these are things that you're supposed to do constantly. And so you know what that means? That means you're not just meant to pray for, for your enemies once and then check it off the list. You're not meant to do good to your enemy just one time and go about your merry way. The, what Jesus is saying is the, this is the way that you're supposed to live every second of every moment of every day in every relationship in every situation that you find yourself in unyielding ongoing perfect obedience and we ask really jesus says yes really and and you see that jesus isn't just uh asking us to live in a in a uh eye for an eye, quid pro quo type existence. Jesus raises the stakes. He says um, in, in, verse, um, in verse 31 that as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, many people who have reflected on the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of other great religious figures uh, have noted that what Jesus is saying here is similar to what other moral teachers have said. For instance, Confucius, uh, stated somewhat the same principle, but instead of stating it positively the way that Jesus does, he states it negatively. Uh, C- Confucius says that, um, that 
you should, uh, that Confucius says, do not inflict on others what you, would, what you yourself would not wish done to you. Do not inflict on others what you, what you wish, uh, which you yourself would not wish done to you. So the difference is, is that Confucius is basically just stating the principle of non-harm, but Jesus is, ra- is raising the stakes. He says, don't, not only don't harm your neighbor, but do active good on their part. You see, there's a chasm of difference between those two statements. Confucius is saying, don't punch your enemy in the nose because you don't want to be punched in the nose. But Jesus is saying, uh, build your enemy a hospital <laughs> that when you get punched in the nose and then when he gets punched in the nose, you're able to care for him when life uh, thro- throws him a broken nose. You see, not only with Jesus is the bar set incredibly high, Jesus' teaching is problematic because it, it goes against the way that we think that the world works. Uh, I said earlier that Jesus' teaching is meant to help us see the grain of reality, but in reading through these teachings of Jesus, we might think that Jesus is off base here because we live in a world where, where we've been taken advantage of. Where, where we've been exploited and manipulated by other people. Uh, we live in a world where w- even where we do the right thing, we don't get the rewards of doing the right thing. So we think that Jesus' teaching is upside down, but in the teaching of Jesus, Jesus says that, that, uh, that it's actually the world that's upside down, that the world is not as, it's, as it should be, that my teaching is helping you try to see the world rightly and that you shouldn't settle for, for the world as it is. You should see uh, the way the world ought to be the, and, and live in light. Uh, of that reality. You see, Jesus is, is saying, do you, um, not only is his teaching upside down, but Jesus is saying uh, all throughout the Gospels that if you want to find your life, you have to lose it, right? Do you want to be filled up? That means you have to empty yourself. It, and it's completely counter to the way that we think the world works. Jesus is saying, do you want to win at life? Then lose. Uh, do you want, uh, do your enemies hate you? Don't retaliate. Do good. Get struck on the cheek. Let them have a shot, the other one too. See, Jesus' teaching is problematic because it defies that uh, eye for an eye, that quid pro quo reality that we all live in that feels natural to us. And that if we were to really follow Jesus and and take him at his word, obeying Jesus actually feels a little bit like death, uh, a, a little bit like dying to ourselves. You see, as we look at the high bar of Jesus' teaching, we, we become uh, acutely aware that we don't live this way. And the problem intensifies because in verses 43 to 45, Jesus says that we're unable to follow his commands, not because that there are things outside of us, that there are, are situations or people that cause us to fail to live up to Jesus' commands, but rather that the problem for obedience isn't outside of us, it's inside of us, that we have hearts uh, that don't uh, produce the things that we, that, that, that doesn't produce the, the good in the world that we want to see. Uh, that, that even on our, on our best days, it's not that we just can, can't keep Jesus' commandments, it's that we don't want to. Our hearts uh, aren't in a position to, to want to obey Jesus' commands. And that is just how Jesus is teaching us how to live is problematic. As, as we think about the second purpose, where Jesus' second purpose is to teach us about what God is like, Jesus raises the stakes again, and this is where Jesus' audience is most tripped up. This is actually what, what gets Jesus killed if you read the Gospels all the way through the end. You see, all the other great moral teachers in history, whether that's Gandhi or, uh, or Buddha or Muhammad, they all said that their teachings are there to merely to point people to God, to show you the way uh, to God and the path to follow. But Jesus goes one step further, and he says, I, the one who am, who am teaching you, am God. I'm not just here to point you to God. I'm, I am God. Come 
for you. I, have got, I am God come to teach you how to live and who I am. He says it more explicitly in other parts of the Gospels, but in our passage here in Luke 6, here's how, here's how Jesus gets at that claim to be more than just a teacher. Jesus says in verses 46 to 49, it's not simply hearing my words and, and calling me Lord, Lord, calling me a good teacher. You actually need to, to act on what I say. You need to build your life on me. I need to be the foundation of your very existence where every thought and word and decision you make has to have me at the core or else it's not going to go well for you. That, that you can take uh, my words and if, you, and if you don't build them on me, it's like uh, you're just preparing yourself for a heavy crash. That unless your heart is transformed, unless your life is completely reset and reoriented around uh, God's mercy and character embodied in Jesus himself, you're, you're not going to live life to the fullest. You're not going to bear any lasting fruit. It, it's like how uh, the counselor, Paul David Tripp, puts it. He uses this analogy of fruit stapling. He says, uh, imagine you go up to uh, a tree and you staple an apple on a tree. Well, it looks right, um, and, it, and it looks good, and, and, it, and, it, and, it, and the picture works for a little while, but because that fruit isn't connected to the tree, eventually that apple is going to rot. And so you can't live out the teachings of Jesus, at least not for long, and not in, in an enduring or transformative way without being in a relationship with Jesus, without uh, being rooted in him, without building your life with him as the foundation, that you can't take the ethics of Jesus and, and sever it from a relationship with Jesus, or else you're, you're living um, an empty, powerless life. And so this is where we get to the power. Uh, how do we get the power to live out Jesus' teaching? Well, in listening to this teaching from Jesus, and when you go and read the other teachings and sayings of Jesus in the Gospels, for instance, if you go to uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7, uh, which, by the way, in, in your bulletin, there's, there's a page about how you can worship throughout the week. There's a weekly Bible reading plan where you can follow along with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount this week. One of the conclusions that you'll come to in just reading all of Jesus' teachings is that you don't have what it takes to, to fully live out and obey Jesus. Uh, if, if you go through and collect and collate all of Jesus' moral instruction, what you're going to feel at the end of that exercise is not a sense of accomplishment. Man, like, I've done so well in, in obeying Jesus. You're actually going to feel the, the weight of shame and guilt that, that Jesus has shown me how to live, and I am so far from living and embodying uh, the teaching of Jesus. And in one sense, that's, that's the point. Uh, within the Reformed theological tr tradition of which the, the Presbyterian uh, stream is a part of, uh, there's, this, there's this discussion about what is the role of the law. Uh, when, when we look at these moral instructions in Scripture, what is it meant to do for us? And the theologi uh, theologians in this tradition say that there are three uses of the law, three functions that the law plays in our lives. And the very first role the law, that the law plays in our hearts is to act as a mirror, is to show us who God is like, and to show us who we really are. That God is perfect, holy, just, merciful uh, uh, in all that he is and all that he does, and that when we see God for who he is, we, we see ourselves for who we really are. That, that in ourselves, we don't have the power uh, to live the lives that God would have us live, and, and if we're honest, we don't even have the power to live the kind of lives that we, that we want to live, uh, to be the kind of person that we want to be. And so one of the main goals of Jesus' teaching is to disabuse us of any confidence in ourselves, that we can save ourselves, uh, that we can live up to our own standards or God's standards, that in our own strength and power that we can live the type of lives and be the kind of people that we want to be. 
that we hope to be. And when, and, and when you grasp that truth, that in yourself you have no power to live the way that God requires and commands us to live, and when you, when you grasp that truth, everything begins to change. Because until you grasp that truth, you'll look at passages like Luke 6 and you'll say to yourself, I need to do these things in order for God to accept me. I, I need to do these things to be a good person. I, I need to do these things in order to be a Christian. If you don't comprehend your inability to do what God commands, that you don't have the power to, to live out Jesus' teachings, you're always going to be frustrated. You're always going to belittle and berate yourself for falling short. You're, you're always going to be crushed by every mistake and misstep. Or on the other hand, you're think, you think you're going to be doing a good job, and you're going to be so full of self-righteousness and pride that you'll be intolerable to be around, and you'll find yourself living in constant fear of being found out. And so uh, living this hypocritical double life, and you'll always uh, be on the precipice of a great fall. And so here's the secret to Jesus' teaching here in Luke 6, that Jesus is not teaching us in this passage how to get into God's kingdom. He, he's telling us what life in this kingdom is already like. In other words, this, this sermon is not a kingdom entrance sermon. This sermon is a kingdom residence sermon. This isn't a sermon about how to get into heaven. This is a sermon about once you're in the family of God, once you're in the kingdom, this is, how, this is how you're supposed to live. That the power to do these things doesn't come from the people who had enough willpower and determination to keep all the rules and gain entrance into God's kingdom. This is a sermon about those who were brought into the kingdom by the king. This is a sermon for people who have been brought in from the outside and empowered by the king, by God, to live differently. And so how are they brought in? Because God has gone out. God has come to those who have failed to keep all the rules, those who have burned all the bridges, those who have failed to live up to the standards of God and, and, and their own personal standards, and have brought them in to a new relationship, who have brought them into a new reality, who have, who have set them firmly planted in a new kingdom and, and given them a new vision of life, and who have, and who have been empowered by God himself through, through the Holy Spirit, to live lives of joyful obedience, to live transformed lives where, where once we were unable to and, and felt shame and, and condemnation by not, by not keeping God's rules, where we're now empowered to live differently. And, 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 this is, and, and this act of God bringing us in happens through Jesus, through God coming into the world to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You see, Jesus in his teaching required perfect, unyielding, constant obedience. And we see that in the life of Jesus, someone who obeyed God perfectly in every moment, in, of, of every second, in every relationship, in every decision that he made. It, and you see this most beautifully at the end of Jesus' life when he goes to the cross, that on the cross, uh, when Jesus was beaten, when he was slandered, when he was cussed out by the religious authorities, you see Jesus not responding in kind. When you see Jesus hung up on the cross, you see him offering up a prayer for those who abused, who abused him, saying, Father, forgive them. They do, not, they do not know what they're doing. You see, at, at times, we think that, that following Jesus, obeying his commands, feels like a death. But you see how, how for Jesus, it really was a death? That in obeying the Father in every point of his life, it led to his own, to his, to his own death and execution. But do you know what happened on the other side of that obedience of Christ? resurrection, that the perfect obedience of Christ, uh, Christ 
brought a death, but it brought about a resurrection. It brought about the, the, the inbreaking of, of, the God, of God's kingdom into our reality uh, that, that brought the world right side up again in Jesus, that those who follow him, that, that in this new world that Jesus brings his followers, his disciples, he brings them in and he gives them the, the ability to, to live in a world that's upside down. He gives us the ability to live right side up in a world that, that's upside down. You see, Jesus' teaching in Luke 6 uh, is, is a picture of what life in the kingdom is like. It's not, it's not a sermon about how to get into the kingdom, but it, it's a sermon that if you see Jesus for who he is as, as more than a teacher, but as the God come for you and who has given us instruction on how to live in light of that salvation, then everything can change. And Jesus' teaching in Luke 6, it ends with this story of two builders. And Jesus ends this sermon this way on purpose because Jesus is saying to us at the end of the day, there's really only two ways to live. You can try to be a good person in your own power. You can try to build your life your way and in the end be ruined. Or you can build your life on Jesus. You can trust in his perfect obedience and depend on his power and find that in him you have everything you need. You have a foundation that is unshaken through all the storms and streams of life. And so the question for us, friends, as we hear the words of Jesus the teacher, Jesus the savior, Jesus the Lord, is what foundation are you building on? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who uh, has not only shown us how to live, uh, but who has come for us as we've broken your rules, as we failed to, to live the lives, to, to live the way that you have called us to live. We thank you for Jesus who keeps your rules, your law in our place, and who gives us that perfect record of obedience. Help us, Lord, to trust in that, to, to know that even in our worst moments, our disobedience is covered by the perfect obedience of Christ. And empower us by your spirit to live out your commands, to know that your law is here for us as Christians to guide us uh, in the path that we should go, to live lives that point people to the beauty of your kingdom. So Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.